the benefit of planning is that you're not stuck thinking what happens next. You just fly through it. Like once I had done all that, I, I went to the story really quickly. Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. How long does it take to write and self-publish your first book? And what does that journey look like? Hi there, my name is Brian Collins and welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast. Writing and self-publishing a book is a goal that many writers and authors have. But usually if you want to do something like this, you're going to have to do it around the site because chances are if it's your first book, you've got to work at a job to pay the bills. At least that's what I've had to do and what many authors I've met had to do. When I was working on my first book, I used to get up early in the morning around five or six and I'd write for an hour or two before the day job. At the time, the day job was working as a copywriter for a British software company. And I liked writing in the morning on my book or working on my book in the morning because I felt I was freshest then. And if I had a difficult day at work or something came up with the kids later on in the day, I wasn't so stressed because I'd already gotten in a good hour of creative work. And what I found is that if you could work on, you know, a creative project that you're passionate about for 30 or 60 minutes every morning, you can make progress bit by bit towards your book. And that's how I actually wrote a collection of short stories and how I started writing nonfiction as well. And it's also the method that I use to work on my site, Become a Writer Today. So if you want to write your first book, the first thing I'd ask you to consider is what does the start of your day look like? And could you get up an hour earlier and use that time to work on a creative project that's exciting to you? Now, of course, if you don't have kids or lots of family demands, or perhaps your working hours are a bit different, perhaps you could write later in the evening too. But it is helpful if you can block book at least an hour a day to work on something creative and to write. How long, of course, it takes to write and self-publish a book is another question because it depends on your skills and your experience with writing books. And I know I spent, God, several years working on my collection of short stories, which in retrospect was way too long. But I didn't really know what I was doing at the time. And it was only when I got into the habit of publishing more work and finishing it that I learned how to write things a bit quicker. Many Authors or new authors say they spend a year or two on their book, and that's completely normal. Whereas other more experienced self-published authors seem to churn out books, you know, every few months. But the chances are that they're probably working with people who help them, or they've got a couple of books on the back burner, or they're doing it full time, or they've just been doing it longer. So they understand how to tell stories within their particular genre or niche that bit better. So what I'd say is if you're looking at the output of an author who's been doing it for a while, you know, don't let that put you off because chances are they struggled on writing a first book for a year or two or figured out what genre they wanted to write in before they started you know, achieving any kind of success. The topic of writing your first book is actually the subject of this week's podcast episode. I had the chance to catch up with another Irishman. He's an author, Connor Braden, and he's written the novel The Longest Night. And he's also the host of the popular Irish podcast Story of a Storyteller, where he interviews other writers and storytellers. And I was interested in talking to Connor because He's also a primary school teacher and he writes on the side and that's how he wrote and self-published his first book. So I wanted to understand what his writing routine looked like, how he balanced writing with a day job, and also what other steps he took to ensure that he got his first draft into something that he was happy to publish and get lots of great reviews for. And it's actually available on Amazon right now if you wanted to go and check it out. But before we get over to this week's podcast interview with Connor, I do have an ask. Please could you leave a short review on the iTunes store because more reviews and more ratings would help more people find the show. Or if you're not listening to an iTunes, just leave a short review or share the episode wherever you're listening. The other thing that I've done recently is I've set up a Patreon for the Become a Writer Today podcast. 
So you can just visit Patreon forward slash become a writer today and it'll take you to the sign up page. And I'll also include that link in the show notes. Basically, if you become a supporter of the show for just two or three dollars a month, depending on what tier you want to pick, it'll help me produce more episodes. So for context, it takes me about two or three hours to record a single episode when I factor in things like editing, research, finding guests and so on. So your support would help me continue with the Become a Writer Today podcast. Now, with all of that said, let's go over to this week's interview with Connor. So, yeah, the way I would say it, and I said to you before we started recording as well, is that I basically have two full-time jobs. And it's kind of my big thing is all about prioritizing. So a couple of years ago, I read a, <laughs> this. it starts really far out, but it comes back, I swear. Um, a couple of years ago, <laughs> I started uh, reading a book about fitness and being your best physical self and all this kind of thing called Level Up Your Life by Steve Calm. And okay. in yeah. that book, he um, there was one sentence that just floored me. And I was so happy I read the book even for this one sentence. And that was, from now on, whenever you say, I don't have time for that, to or I don't have enough time to do whatever. So I don't have enough time to write or I don't have enough time to record a podcast. Change it to X isn't a priority. So when you start saying things like, I don't have time to write. And then then start saying, oh, writing isn't a priority. It really hits you because then you're like, oh, wow, that's shocking. Uh, like, because there, there's people that he works with, the writer of that book, who were parents and they were saying, oh, I don't have time to play with my kids. And then when they change things to say, playing with my children isn't a priority, it really hits and makes you go, I, yeah. need, I need to sort out my priorities. So that's kind of where it started. And then I realized writing is something I really care and love, care about and really love. So I just need to make it a priority. So um, I sacrificed the things that weren't a priority. So, you know, television shows, watching TV from six at night to bedtime wasn't going to happen anymore. I started getting up an hour earlier than I normally would have to go to work and spend that hour writing in the mornings. Um, there's a hashtag going around on Twitter all the time, the 5am writers club. <laughs> yeah. I was on that for a while. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a 5am guy. I'm a 6am guy, but you know, yeah. I did that for a year. It's, it's not pretty. It's, it, it's a kind of a monkish existence, but uh, yeah, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you do. So that, that's kind of my main thing. And then when it comes to making sure I meet my, meet my responsibilities uh, in my the job that pays the bills. I don't want to say my real job, the job that actually pays the bills at the minute. It's all about prioritizing again. It's like looking at, well, what what is, first, what's the bare minimum? Second, what's my bare minimum? Because I have high standards when it comes to my teaching. And then second, what do I need to do for tomorrow? And just kind of work from there. Yeah, yeah. So do you write for an hour in the morning before you, you go to school to, to teach? Uh, well, I if it's writing, yeah. Um, sometimes it might be working on the podcast. Sometimes it might be a bit of marketing. But I, I maintain my yeah. writing career in that hour a day. Okay, yeah, it's good to get an hour in the morning time. Because what I found when I was well, I'm doing this full time now. But when I was doing this part time, if I left it till the evening, something would work would come up during the day, and then I invariably just not do it that night. Yeah, yeah. I think the the evenings is really good but the thing is the evening belongs to like the rest of the day is affecting you once you get to the evening you know so you're better off doing the mornings that's what i think and what about your book how long did it take you to write a book working just an hour a day um so my first novel is the longest night and it's uh as you said it's a supernatural thriller it's kind of has a funny backstory i after reading that uh fitness book i was talking about my uh partner he kind of said to me is like you know you, you always talk about writing but you never write and I was like oh yeah he's correct so between those two kind of things that hit me you never write and writing isn't a priority I started so I started writing it in 2016 and then of course one of the 
benefits of having a, a job like mine is that I do have a little bit more time off than the average person. So basically, once the summer holidays hit, I was a full-time writer. Uh, I was literally getting up at 8, writing until 12, walking the dog, coming back, writing 1 to 5, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, I got the book done in two and a half years, um, which is a lot of time. But for my first book, I was quite happy with it. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of big Irish authors were teachers. <laughs> yeah, probably because for June, July, and August, <laughs> <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah. So is that is that it took two and a half years to write the book? I think I spent a bit longer on a collection of short stories. Did you find you were rewriting it a lot? Um, yes, I know. Like it, I, I'll say this: it was my first book. It wasn't my first book to write, but it was my first book to finish. Um, I, I am the the master of starting a novel, and I am the novice of finishing one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, finishing is sometimes harder than starting. Yeah. Oh no, definitely. So yeah, when I came to writing the book, I, I just I approached things differently this time around because I was more serious about it. So I um, bought a book that was written by the creators of NaNoWriMo, which I'm sure you're familiar with, yeah. National Novel Writing Month, and um, it was called Ready Set Novel, and it really takes you by the hand says do this bit then plan this bit then plan this bit then plan this bit so on and so forth so i think the fact that i really planned it out to the end and really thought about how the book was going to end and that kind of thing really helped in getting it finished because other times i attempted to write novels i had one or two ideas of how it's going to start something cool to happen in the middle something cool happen at the end and i'll just make yeah. it messed up as i go that doesn't work so did you use the NaNoWriMo book for The Longest Night or for a different book? I used it for The Longest Night, yeah. Okay. And did you always want to write fiction, um, in particular thrillers? Yes and um, yes-ish. <laughs> so I always, <laughs> I've always wanted to write. Um, like I remember the very first story I wrote, I was um, in junior infants, so I was four. And I, I got a whole load of A4 pages and I, I wrote a book about a rabbit who explores the forest and then meets a dragon, blah, blah, blah. And I remember being really disappointed because when I folded them all up and put them together and stapled them, they were out of order because I didn't think of, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I yeah. went one, two, three, four, as opposed to going one, five, eight, eight, nine, you know, something like that. So like, I've always been writing fiction. Um, in secondary school, I used to dodge doing homework by writing uh, stories instead. And my teacher was yeah. always really annoyed because she was like, Connor, it's great that you can write a really thrilling short story, but you have to know how to do an essay as well for the junior search. I was like, oh, oh well. Um, but uh, <laughs> then when it came to actually writing a thriller uh, it was I think that was just more because that's where my tastes were at the time in other media The Longest Night is very inspired by kind of the video games Uncharted the Indiana Jones movies you know that Tomb Raider that kind of architecture thriller kind of exploration type thing yeah it, it's just what called to me at that time Okay, so it sounds like you've read a lot of books in those genres while you were writing and before you started writing The Longest Night. Yeah, <laughs> I, I inhaled books. And that's one thing I hate about being a, a writer and a podcaster and a teacher is my time for reading just dwindles and dwindles and dwindles away. And it's a shame because... Well, it becomes a kind of, kind of part of the job, doesn't it? It's not, you don't just read for leisure anymore. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's what it is. Like, like, I do read for pleasure, obviously, but it's just a part of my brain I can't turn off now. Like, I used to, yeah. I used to, like, before I was a teacher, I was actually a stage actor. So it's like, whenever I see a film or, or see a play or something like that, I'm always in my head, I'm like, ah, he slipped up that line. I can see it in his eyes. <laughs> but, and you just can't yeah. turn that brain off. Once, you see, once you've gone, once you've seen behind the curtain, you can't unsee it. Like, Dorothy could never look at the big floating green head and think that's the Wizard of Oz anymore. She, once she understands the workings behind it, it changes yeah. your perspective. Yeah, I read, read a couple of books about story structure and went to a few storytelling workshops. One by Robert McKee comes to mind. But uh, after discovering like there's actually a framework for stories, 
it's very hard to watch any like big films yeah. without actually seeing all the different beats that the writers were hitting. It is, yeah, it really, really is. Is there any particular books you think like really changed your perspective on storytelling or anything? Uh, well, Robert McKee's book Story uh, is actually about screenwriting, so, so, so maybe you, you'd like it considering your your background before you're writing thrillers. But just he takes apart a couple of famous films and explains how to hit all these different beats and what the conventions of like a genre is and what the conventions of thrillers are. Um, so even though I don't write thrillers, it was just it was interesting to see that there is actually kind of a framework for it. Yeah, yeah. And then Sean Coyne is a book called The Story Grid, so he does something similar to what Robert McKee did with, except he does it with Silence of the Lambs. So, oh yeah, yeah. So once I saw that, and the hero's journey as well, which which you probably heard of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> what what writer worth their salt hasn't heard of the hero's journey at this stage? Yeah. yeah. After that, the Matrix and Star Wars and every other superhero film yeah, <laughs> exactly. ruined. I think. Yeah. Uh, well, not ruined, but I guess you you, you know what's going to happen next. <laughs> but in a way, I think that's good because then it may, it forces the writers to think outside the box. There's somebody, do you know what I mean? And, and then you have to come up with a different um, structure and a different plot and stuff. Yeah, what I think is if a book is in a particular genre, it has to do certain things at least to satisfy oh, yeah. readers. And if it doesn't do those things, then it's it's a book in a different genre. Like I, I write a lot of nonfiction, so, I, so I'm more interested these days in what nonfiction books do. But um, yeah, even, like there's even frameworks for nonfiction books. You know, you need to have takeaways for the reader and you should have some sort of personal story combined with research, depending on the type of nonfiction book you're writing. So when you wrote your book and you said it took two and a half years, does that include editing and rewrites as well? Yeah, so the two and a half years is from buying a, a little notebook that was going to be my, this is the notebook I'm going to write the book in, to the publication. By notebook, do you mean a, like a moleskin or a paper notebook? Yeah, mo- a, a, paper, a paperback moleskin. Not a laptop, yeah. No, um, I always start with uh, pen and paper. And actually, I'm currently planning the sequel to The Longest Night. And that's why I have all these lovely multicolored post-its, because yeah. <laughs> the spare bedroom becomes my... Like, you know that meme of uh, Charlie from All of a Sunny in Philadelphia, like, pointing at the wall with all these bits yeah, of paper? Yeah. That's my planning process. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I take over. Yeah, I have a board. large whiteboard. I, I use that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is it. But I've done the post posted option as well. See, so, yeah, that's just kind of always how we started. I just kind of start with pen and paper and then gradually move on. I do use two bits of software that I have to shout out to because they're phenomenal. Um, Snowflake Pro, which is a planning software. Yeah. Um, I'm not familiar with that one. It's it's very old school. It's very cool though. So it's it's basically you start off with you summarize your story in one sentence, and then you just take yeah. the next, and you have to expand it the one to five sentences, and then each sentence there in the five sentence paragraph you expand to a full paragraph on its own, and it's just about taking your things and expanding and expanding and expanding until you have oh, okay. an outline. Um, and the software is really useful because it has a couple of famous books and stories. In an, it loaded in as an example. So like, if you're not entirely sure what, what the designer means by a character ambition, for example, you can go into one of the examples like Harry Potter or Gone of the Wind and be like, oh, okay, yeah, now I know what they mean. And then the other software, of course, is the one most writers would know, Scrivener. I mean, it's... it's Yeah, I use Scrivener a lot. I, I can do a version of those post-its, but yeah, sometimes it is best just to see it all. I like the, I like the touch. <laughs> yeah, no, a lot of writers do. <laughs> so the Snowflake Pro, so you haven't used that one, does that help you with the outline and then you start free writing in Scrivener or what way did you do it? So I would have started with um, the post-its uh, and things like yeah. that. And then once I had a rough idea of what I wanted, I went on to Snowflake Pro to kind of really solidify it and make sure it made sense make sure that it 
separating the wheat from the chaff in terms of story ideas, if you know what I mean. And then Snowflake Pro actually really breaks it down to you have a seat, you actually end up with an Excel sheet of this scene happens in this chapter, this scene happens in this chapter, then you're on the next chapter and so on. So once I had that Excel sheet, I just put that up on Google Drive and then I just wrote one like over and back between, yeah, I've written that, go back to Scrivener or go back to the sheet, look at what I need to write next, back into Scrivener and go. I think that's one thing about- That's a little bit like the, the story grid. The story grid basically maps out your Twitter book and a spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's basically the same thing. It's just all about kind of, uh, and like a lot of, I know there's a lot of writers out there that would be like, oh, but I'm a pantser, I can't do that. And I was like, well, yeah. the benefit of planning is that you're not stuck thinking what happens next. You just fly through it. Like once I had done all that, I, I went to the story really quickly. And then when it came to editing and all that, I hired an editor through Reedsy. And um, yeah, I use Reedsy, they're a great service. It's a fantastic service. Uh, and yeah. the, it just gets, it's just easier to find editors who have like, industry experience whereas i find out when it's using upwork and other services you could just get anybody yeah i think that is one really good benefit of reedy is you really can't find someone that matches your niche and your desires in terms yeah. of what you want so yeah once i found once i found the editor if one thing i was really happy with was she said like this this is really good for your first draft and when i talked to her then over time she kind of basically said the only reason that it's as good as it is at this point at this stage is because of the extensive planning you did so okay so so saves you a bit of time on the, the rewrites basically and did you spend long working on the book with you um it was around two and a bit months which seemed uh, which i know is yeah. really, really short so the process we did was um there was a bit of emails back and forth then i sent her the manuscript and she then sent me the manuscript back uh, a month or so later with a whole load of things it was both she kind of did a bit a mix of a copy and a develop and a story edit over and back so as I was going through the copy. Would you be able to explain just for, for, of course, yes, for some right. people what the difference between the two is? So a lot of people that wouldn't be in the writing sphere will think that editing is something I should be very good at because I'm a teacher with my red pen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Big access through all the sections. <laughs> that's not what editing is. That's a, that's one of the many yeah. types of editing. So um, a developmental edit or sometimes called a story edit is looking at the story with a macro lens, looking at it from afar and saying, well, is this... Does this make sense? Are the characters ringing true? Is the character behaving like a normal human being or are they behaving like a normal person within the story, uh, within your world, yeah. your story set? And then a copy edit is what most people would think of as editing, is the red pen, is going through, looking for spelling mistakes, grammar mistakes, punctuation, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but there's other types of edits as well. I mean, there's continuity edits, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's making sure that things make sense all the way through from a but you just said he had a green jumper on and in the next scene he has a red shirt on. Like It's small, niggly bits like that. And then there's proofreading, which is making sure the copy edit was right. Like, there's so many stages and that's something I... And did she do all of these different types of edits? So she did the developmental edit and she did... Erin Young is her name, I should say. Um, yeah. So Erin did the developmental edit and she did the copy edit. A, kind of a rough copy edit. And then I did the rest I could because budget-wise I couldn't really afford too much. Yeah. Yeah, you can spend quite a lot on editing, but um, it is worthwhile saving up if you're a new writer to at least you know work with a good editor who can help you on the drafts. Definitely. Did you show it to anybody else then before you published it? Yeah, so I had um, a couple of beta readers. Uh, so a beta reader is uh, basically somebody that will read the entire book as as a reader as opposed to an editor just to catch. It's, it's, it's like the final little check. And they also sometimes can be... I, I asked my beta readers to be uh, ARC readers. Uh, ARC readers as advanced review copy readers. So basically, once I got my beta readers in 
and they checked through everything. I asked them that, hey, look, on the day of the launch of the book, would you mind leaving a review on Amazon or on Goodreads or wherever just to show people that this book has been read and it is worthwhile? Because it's one thing we all know, whether you're buying a book or anything else, but if you're looking on Amazon or any other website and you see zero reviews, you are a bit tentative to buy it because you're like, oh, why isn't anyone else bought this? So that's a really useful thing to have a review, someone's review ready to go on the day it comes up so that it encourages more people to buy. And how did you find your beta readers and your ARC readers? Through my Facebook page, mostly, and through asking friends and family. Is this your personal Facebook page or do you have yeah. one for your... So my personal Facebook page at start, um, just because it, I just find it, I, I, I just, what I didn't do a lot of the things that writers should do at the start. I didn't like develop a huge email list and I didn't have yeah. a full website or anything. I have all those things in place now, but, uh, I would definitely do it differently now. I wouldn't be as impatient. I was so excited. And to me, it was like, wow, two and a half years is so long. Whereas there's other people are like, I wrote my first book in 10 years. <laughs> so yeah, I was a bit impatient, I guess. And I, I launched it a little bit too early, but I have no regrets. I'm still very happy with how the book did and is still doing. So that's good. Yeah. I, well, my first book was a collection of short stories and I spent years writing it too long. And then. When I switched to nonfiction and I rushed something out and then I took it back down and rewrote it because I didn't get edited properly, basically. Yeah. So I made both mistakes. What about the cover? How did you find a book cover designer? Uh, Reezy again. Uh, Nick Castle um, is the cover designer. Uh, it's it's one thing. It's my favorite thing of the book. The The cover is just, it's it's really striking. And for anyone who's not listening from Ireland, it's it has a really important Irish landmark on the cover that is really integral to the story. I, I just told them a couple of, key phrases and key words and I showed him some example of covers I really liked and he just came out with this like straight away and apart from a couple of one or two little niggly things that we sorted um so Newgrange is supposed to be on the cover but originally he got a a different similar passage to him <laughs> and I was like oh yeah that's not Newgrange he goes yes it is it says on the details of like I, I've been there it's not Newgrange <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really similar but it's not so yeah. it, was, it was small little niggly things like it was excellent and he was really helpful as yeah. well um I originally didn't have a tagline on the cover and he said, do you want to put one? I was like, oh, no, it's fine. And he goes, let me ask you again. Do you want to put one? And again, yeah. he normally does thriller covers. Uh, I think that's the important thing is when you're looking for an editor or a cover designer or anything, even a marketer, to look at someone who has experience in your niche or in your genre or whatever, because they'll know the, like you said earlier, like it, there's industry norms. Like if you don't hit those norms, it's not a thriller. Yeah. Even if it is between the covers, if you don't have a thriller esque uh, cover, the thriller audience aren't going to reach for the book. Which it does. Which it does. And you mentioned marketing. How did you go about promoting the book, or how are you promoting the book? Um, well, a couple of ways. Um, it's I won't lie. It's the thing I'm struggling with the most as a writer, and because I, I consider myself a writer, what I end up doing is thinking: if I'm not writing, I'm not working on my second job as a writer yeah. do you know what I mean um, so yeah. it's, it's hard to do both it, it really really is yeah and um, I know a lot of authors would do things like just hire a marketer but I don't feel comfortable doing that uh, so main way I market is through this I get to know other writers like yourself and uh, reach out and talk to on podcasts and things like that I also uh, building up a bit of a following on Twitter and trying to interact with readers and other readers and authors that way. And of course, I started up my own podcast, uh, Story of a Storyteller, to do a bit of content marketing so people be familiar with me and then might be interested in checking out my books. Yeah. What, so what did you set up the podcast after you published the book? Yeah, so the podcast is uh, only a, it's only six months old. 
<laughs> I, okay, I, okay. It was a it was a lockdown project uh, that spiraled out of control. Project, <laughs> yeah. It started out as a, oh, I'll just do a few episodes and leave it, and then it's become a real passion very very quickly. So it's called Story of a Storyteller. It's about uh, it's just me talking to other writers and finding out their life story specifically and how they got from childhood to being a storyteller. And the reason I call it storyteller is it's. Well, first of all, alliteration is nice <laughs> in a podcast title. <laughs> but uh, secondly, because I, I don't... Always, always the teacher. <laughs> tell you, it, 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 the teacher out of the school, we can't take the school out of the teacher. Um, yeah. It's mostly because like, I want to just talk, I want to see what I can learn from other authors, but also from actors and from screenwriters. Um, I actually, yeah. the most recent episode, we're recording this on the 2nd of March, the episode that came out yesterday is a board game designer and an author. And we talked about you know, how designing a board game is about planning a story that the players are going to create together or play together or whatever. So it's just, it's all about that kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, that would, that would make sense, I guess. It's, you're still telling a story, but just in a different format. Exactly. So I'm just looking at your website. You you have a free book as well. Do, do you use that as part of your strategy? Yeah. Does uh, that work for you at the moment? Good point. I really should have. Yeah. <laughs> See, there's so many <laughs> strategies. I forget them all. So um, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> I, have a, I have a free short story uh, or a novella. I always feel guilty by calling it a free book because it's only it's a little bit under ten thousand words. Uh, it's called the Stolen Dagger, and it's a yeah. Well, that's a novella, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a it's a kind of a crime heist thriller thing that ties into the Longest Night. Yeah. So the the titular Stolen Dagger of that book is um, a key plot device and a key thing for the Longest Night. But it is still okay. the Stolen Dagger on its own is still a complete story. So if you went and read the Stolen Dagger, you wouldn't feel like Oh, but I, I I don't know what happens next. Like it is a beginning, middle, end on its own. Um, so it's available for free if people sign up to my email list. So if you wanted to check it out, it'd be connorbraden.com slash free book. And um, it's there. It's Yeah, it has worked. I mean, I said earlier when I launched The Longest Night, I didn't have an email list. And now I have one that is growing. I mean, it's growing slowly, okay. but it's never stopped growing it's always growing a little bit so i use um two websites book funnel and story origin and i use them to find other authors to connect with and then we kind of share each other's free books with our email list so that people from let's say if i was sharing with you brian your email list might yeah. get mine and be like oh yeah and click over and vice versa and it has worked a bit yeah it's uh it's done pretty well yeah, no, I'm not aware of Story Origin, so I must take a look at that one. Did you consider putting it on Amazon as well? Uh, it is on Amazon, but... Uh, the, oh, it is? It is. Yeah, it's yeah. just I, I purposely have it on Amazon as the cheapest it can be, which is 77p. But yeah. first line on the on the description is, or get this book for free on, um, because if I sell it on Amazon, then I can't get the email. And that's the kind of main reason for it. I'm looking at it as a, a way to get people's okay. addresses. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I've, I've tried a few books in the past. Yeah, they, they they can work quite well. So, what are you writing at the moment? Um. So I I finished the first very 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 long <laughs> first draft of a children's fantasy book, but I I'm struggling with it in the sense that I basically I couldn't figure out exactly if it was really one book or if it was a trilogy. And if it was a trilogy, I'd have to do a lot of padding. But at the same time, it's huge for one book, and I'm not sure what to cut. So I decided to park it for a little bit, let it percolate, and instead continue on with the sequel to The Longest Night. The Longest Night was always intended to be the start of a short series, whether a trilogy or four books, I'm not sure yet, but that's what I'm working on now. And I'm trying a different planning method, uh, thanks to um, a guest on my podcast. Uh, her name is Dixon Rule. 
she said that one thing that really benefits her, she has a five book series that she changed the planning technique from book to book so that it felt fresher and that she could look at it from different ways. So that's what I'm trying now. I'm um, using the planning method. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah I would have taught a bunch of systems stick with it. <laughs> no, I because I did try that. I did try and plan it before and it just, things wouldn't flow. And so now I'm trying using, yeah. um, uh, I don't know if you know the book, The Anatomy of Story by John Truby. I've heard of it, yeah. I haven't read it, but I've heard of it's, it. It's, oh, it's dense. <laughs> it's, it's a really yeah. dense book and it's really, really good. And one thing I love about it is he uses a lot of examples and that's kind of one thing that really helps me is he'll explain something, explain how it works. Like I'm on character webs at the minute. So he then says, so here's the character web of Streetcar Named Desire. Here's the character web of Godfather. Here's the character web of Tootsie. <laughs> it, yeah. He loves the film Tootsie. You know, the De- Dustin Hoffman one where Dustin Hoffman dresses up. Yeah. I don't know why he just loves that. <laughs> uh, it comes up a lot. But uh, but yeah, no, it's really, really helpful. And so that's where okay. I am at the minute. Okay. And are you, do you find the lockdown has helped with your writing or have you found it harder to, to write? Yeah. Yes and no. It's helped in the sense I have more free time. But it yeah. also hasn't helped in that I'm a very rare extroverted author. I feel like a lot of authors are introverted and they get their energy and they get their kind of sense of Zen from being alone in quiet places. Yeah. Whereas being an extrovert, you're the exact opposite. I get my energy and I get my, uh, I kind of feed off being in groups of people, which is one of the reasons I love my job so much because I'm working with so many kids. Yeah. So that, that has been a bit of a weird thing because when I'm not in school, I generally like, I don't want to say my mental health takes a dip, but I, I am more lethargic. I am a bit more down. I'm le- far less motivated. So it's helped in the sense I have more free time, but it also hasn't because I don't see people and then I don't get that energy boost. Yeah, no, I mean, I would be more into, a more introverted writer, but I, I still find it's difficult because you can't just go to the coffee shop and write for an hour. You know, you, you're kind of stuck at home the whole time. Yeah, It's one thing to, to be at home by choice, but it's another thing to be at home. Because you're told to. <laughs> well, to be home, to be safe, I suppose, is the other way to look at it. Like it's... Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully we're near, we're near the end of it. Anyway, Connor, where can people find out more information about you or your books? Um, so you can find everything on my website, connorbraden.com. So that's C-O-N-O-R-B-R-E-D-I-N.com. And then, of course, my novella, The, Sh- the Stolen Dagger, is at connorbraden.com slash free book. And then if you want to listen to my podcast, Story of a Storyteller, that's uh, connorbraden.com slash podcast. So it's all, everything's all there. Okay, I'll put it all in the show notes. Thanks, Connor. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please consider leaving a short review on the iTunes store or sharing the show on Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you're listening. More reviews, more ratings and more shares will help more people find the Become a Writer Today podcast. And did you know for just a couple of dollars a month, you could become a Patreon for the show? Visit patreon.com forward slash become a writer today or look for the support button in the show notes. Your support will help me record, produce and publish more episodes each month. And if you become a Patreon, I'll give you my writing books, discounts on writing software and on my writing courses. Thank you.